All right, welcome to Late Kick again on the air. It is now Thursday night, July 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2020. Yes, the show is jam-packed tonight. I'm Josh Pate. Happy to have you alongside. If you haven't already subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, here's what I have for you tonight. We're going biggest questions. Now, this is not going to be an ultra-in-depth, let's-break-down-Northwestern's-right-guard-depth chart type questions. This is going to be a more overarching before we get more into the weeds once camps open up nationwide every single finger that we have is crossed. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about a huge, and I mean a huge, verbal commitment for Miami. You know one of the biggest focal points that we've had on Late Kick for several months now, and one of the biggest hidden storylines that we think there is in college football is the talent raid that's been going on in South Florida. Alabama's come in there. Alabama has more kids right now committed from the state of Florida than they do from the state of Alabama. And so Miami got them one that a lot of people thought would leave the state, and they got him one. We're going to talk about that coming up. I'm also going to kick it over to the SEC East and answer a question that so many of you have asked. Colin, I can't tell you how long the list is of people who have asked, hey, Dan Mullen, Kirby Smart, who's the better coach? And that's as specific as they get. So if that's as specific as you want to get, I got a quick answer for you. But then unlike our lead segment here, we will get into the weeds a whole lot more on the Dan Mullen-Kirby Smart debate. Because, as always, you want us to. Let's dive in, shall we? Let's waste no time. Biggest questions in the Big Ten this year. There are several ways that we could go here, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to hit some tips of icebergs, and believe me, we're going to dive in a whole lot more as the season draws closer here. But I want to start with Penn State. As I've told you, I've been pretty obsessed with Penn State. I think they are the most likely, if there's a non-conference champ to make the playoff, I think that's the team. And you could also ask how many teams we're going to have in the playoff this year. And my answer would be three question marks in a row. But my question as it relates to Penn State is this marriage of Kirk Soraka, new offensive coordinator. If you've been out of pocket in the offseason, he comes in from Minnesota. They set a whole lot of records up there in Minnesota last year. So he's come in and you've got Mr. Savage that's still there at quarterback. So you don't have to do this thing like George is doing, since we're talking about the Bulldogs later, where you're bringing in a new coordinator, and also you've got an unknown, or at least for you, an unknown, at the very least a new, a fresh entity at quarterback. Well, they got Savage there. He's been there. And so I've been getting a lot of questions about Penn State, and all the questions from my Nittany Lion fans are defense. And I just want to answer it like this. I did it on the Late Kick Extra podcast that we just released yesterday, and it's available for download wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of people were talking about Penn State's defense, and I said, I'm fine with that. Like, I, of, of course, you have some star power returning there. You got some guys to replace. Maybe you want to kick it up a notch production-wise, but let's not underestimate LSU, perfect example. Let's not underestimate for a second what having a true top five, even top seven, top 10 caliber offensive unit does for a defense. When they're on the bench, the kind of pressure that you're putting on the other side of that field to match what you're doing, it leads to a lot more risk taking than a lot of folks in the Big Ten are comfortable with that you're facing on a week in, week out basis. And so you'll find, I think, defensively, all those tumblers kind of fall into place if you've got things figured out offensively. So I don't know what things look like right from the jump because as is the case pretty much nationwide, we haven't really had time at Penn State to gel this new offensive coordinator, new concepts. How many new rocks are we turning over really here? We haven't really had time to gel all that. So I don't know what it looks like right off the bat, but this is a season-long biggest questions. Season-long, 
how much juice can we squeeze out of this Kirk Soraka marriage with the offense and the cast currently in place there at Penn State? I wanted to go to Michigan, too. These are two programs that we've spoken a whole lot about over specifically the past three months. And I'll look offense with Michigan, too. Now, this is one that's not that hard to figure out. We have described Michigan's future as Josh Gaddis or bust. And I think that's pretty self-explanatory. But I think a lot of the counterpoint, the point counterpoint here, those that are counterpointing our optimism about Michigan would say, you're only as good as the pieces on your roster. And whether it be questions as to who's going to start at quarterback and whoever they start at quarterback, is he going to be good enough replacing pieces on the offensive line? Do you have enough firepower at the skill positions there? And when I say skill position, I'm talking about wide receiver. I don't really like even saying that. Everyone who's on the football field is skilled. However, here's, here's how the, I'm going to look at Michigan this year. It's not that. Okay, you're going to have who you're going to have on your roster. And to a certain degree, Josh Gaddis is still in a situation going into year two where he's not responsible for a whole lot of what they have on that roster. To a certain degree, he's still using what he inherited. So everyone's going to set expectation levels. I just want to know if they're going to exceed expectations. Because even if they don't win their division this year, they don't win the Big Ten, even if they go 9-3 and three this year, if they're exceeding pretty reasonable expectation levels relative to what they currently have in the cupboard, that means when, if I'm a Michigan fan, when I get J.J. McCarthy on campus and I get receivers like the one I just landed out in California and hopefully others, when I start to get that infusion of talent on campus and I'm already developing a reputation as meeting or exceeding expectation level, well, when the expectation level goes up because my talent level has gone up, then it stands to reason we could contend, challenge for the Big Ten championship. We could contend and challenge for a playoff spot. So even if they don't do that this year, you're going to learn a whole lot about Michigan this year as it relates to how they perform compared to what you expect and what I expect from them. Let's go to Wisconsin. This quarterback situation, probably going to be Jack Cohn, known on this show as Jack Doan. Graham Mertz, lying in the weeds there. A lot of you up in Madison would love to see him get a crack at this job. But whoever's there, what we know, you don't have to be a Wisconsin Badger fan to know this. What we know is they've got some production to replace at running back. Now, they've got some very capable, probably stable of running backs there, not just one individual capable of filling the shoes of a guy like Jonathan Taylor, for example, but they probably have a stable full of guys who can rush for 2,500 yards, 3,000 yards for all we know, if you need them to this year. Having said that, how do they take the next step at Wisconsin? And does it involve them making a concerted effort to stretch the field vertically a little bit more? Do they have to stretch the field vertically a little bit or even a lot more in order to replace that lost production? Because that production was really important for them. And that's what I care about, production. Now at receiver, you got Davis, you got Pryor, probably question marks for those of us at a more national level beyond those two names. But the thing about it is if you've got the right offense in place, you watch every single year. Folks who have their offense figured out, folks who have their passing game figured out, every year, without fail, one or two wide receivers emerge that you didn't know about at the beginning of the season. And it's because offenses can make players. You're not on the roster if you don't have talent. So the talent's there. The right offenses can draw the most out of their roster and the talent on said roster. So Let's see if they try and stretch the field more this year vertically at Wisconsin. And if they do, then maybe beyond the two names I mentioned at receiver, 
we start talking about someone else. And maybe, just maybe, and this is a pretty wild concept, I will grant you, but maybe, just maybe, if they evolve that offensive style a little bit more, then we get down the Big Ten conference stretch, and it looks like Wisconsin's going to the Big Ten championship game. And instead of looking at them as a nice test to get us ready for the playoff and to put a conference title crown on our head, maybe you look at them as someone you're actually worried about losing to. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case right now if you're, say, the Ohio State Buckeyes. We're going to get to Ohio State in just a second. But first, I want to mention a couple of teams here that were headed in wildly opposite directions last year. Minnesota. I mean, as good as it gets for Minnesota last year. And Purdue fell flat on their face. So I would like to know, with those two programs respectively, were those just aberrations or were those trends? I mean, does, does it not seem like all that long ago that Jeff Brom was thought of as one of the hottest coaching commodities in America? And when's the last time you heard the name Brom mentioned in any one of these head coaching openings? Now, Purdue folks don't want to hear this, but nationally, uh, I don't know that his reputation didn't take a fairly significant hit last year. And there was a lot going on. I mean, th the least of which was losing a guy like Rondell Moore, for example. A, a guy who was consensus all-American caliber, focal point of their offense. You lose him, you lose a whole lot. So you get him back. That alone is enough to change a lot of your fortune. But bigger picture, you know, if they don't get things rectified this year, if they are not, again, a respectable program, it's not so much what I think about Purdue. It's you know, what am I thinking about Braum after this season? Now, on the flip side, the total flip side of that coin, if I look up at Minnesota and they're able to take, admittedly, a lot of the same pieces they won with last year, being back again, Tanner Morgan is one, Rashad Bateman is another at wide receiver. If they're able to take those pieces and they're able to even come close to duplicating again this year, the success they had last year, I want to stress again, at Minnesota, then Obviously, it's a huge deal for P.J. Fleck, but also you, I would start thinking about Minnesota a lot the same way that I'm thinking about Iowa State right now. Here's what you worry about if you're a Minnesota fan. What you worry about is we want to do good. We want to win. But what if we win so good and we are so high performing that it comes at the expense of losing our head coach in the future? That's always going to be a concern. The higher you fly, then the more you get noticed. And the more you get noticed, you know, your offensive coordinator got taken last year as a result of the insane amounts of success you had. What if that were to happen with P.J. Fleck? They worry about that with Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Here's the point. If they don't leave, you got yourself a world-class head coach. But if they do leave, they're leaving your program by default in an infinitely better position than it was when they found it, which makes your program and your job more attractive to whoever the next hot coaching candidate is. And so you continue to elevate your program just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. That's something I really focus on with Minnesota this year. And lastly, with Ohio State, that's where it's all about defense to me. And it's not so much talent at all. It's not at all a talent issue there. You're going to hear the stat over and over again, how many guys they lost off their defense to the NFL draft. And it's noteworthy. I think the number's like seven or eight, something like that. It's a noteworthy stat. Here's what you're not going to hear anyone who has a clue about Ohio State say. You're not going to hear anyone say they lost all those guys and they just don't have the talent to replace them. Talent's not an issue with them. I'm not saying that they have someone the absolute equivalent of Chase Young or Jeff Okuda, but they are not hurting for talent there. 
But as we've seen with other big-time programs, like Alabama, for example, they've had these classes where they'd send a ton from the defensive side of the ball alone to the NFL draft. And you know, since they've recruited at a top three level every year, you know, Bama fans, or in this case, Ohio State fans, they could just rattle the names off. They can rattle the depth chart off. I'm not going to argue with you about talent. I'm not going to argue with you about people on that roster having enough talent from the neck down to get the job done, the likes of which you expect it to be done at. It's the neck up. It's the stuff that we can't quantify in a recruiting star rating. It's the stuff you can't quantify necessarily in off-season conditioning. It's stuff that you have to be in live bullets game action to find out about someone. The dog mentality that you have to have to play this game at the highest level, or at least you have to have some of those guys sprinkled about your units in order to play this game at the highest level, who among us, including the most ardent Buckeye fans, who among us definitively knows what the mental and character makeup of that team is going to be? You don't. Ryan Day doesn't know, and he's the head coach. It's a trick question. No one can know it yet. So if you watch Ohio State this year, for example, there's a chance that you're watching them just go scorched earth on the Big Ten, defense included, and you're saying, this is totally insane. They lost all these dudes, and they're performing at the exact same level. Or... You could watch them, and they're going to be good regardless, but you could watch them, and you could say, you know, they're beating these teams, but defensively, I don't know, they're just a step off from what they were last year, and it's not going to cost them maybe against Iowa or Indiana, but it may cost them down the road. You could easily see things going either way, so those are some of the biggest questions in the Big Ten, and again, we're going to get a whole lot more hyper-focused on individual teams, individual units, and talk about things on a more granular level as the season approaches. We just don't really have a lot to go on. I don't consider preview magazines as being a lot to go on. I consider feedback from on the ground, from people covering the team or being close to the team. That's tangible information that we like to go on. Spring was canceled. We didn't have any of that, so can't wait to get some of it. Having said that, until that point, we are going to circle back now to a question that, I kid you not, I've probably gotten two dozen times in the past month alone in the inbox for the Late Kick Extra podcast. We record that on Tuesdays, we release it on Wednesdays, and I'm pretty sure, I hit like 33 questions this last time, but I'm pretty sure I hit a version of this question, but I wanted to circle back and I wanted to take a couple of minutes, dive a little deeper on this tonight. Kirby Smart, Dan Mullen. I get asked very routinely, I got asked for this last show, who's better, Dan Mullen, Kirby Smart? Now, I appreciate the directness of the question, it's very easy for me to copy and paste that and put it in a format so I can read it and answer it. However, this is one of those times where I actually wish someone would have been a little bit more specific. Are we talking about who the best uh, play caller is? Are we talking about who the best developer of a specific position unit someone is? Who's the best recruiter? They didn't ask that. They just said, who's the best? So you know I love metaphorical speaking. I'm a real big fan of analogies because it helps me understand pretty much anything we're talking about, football included. There was a summer once upon a time where I worked in the air conditioning and climate control installation business. It was in central Georgia. It was the middle of the summer, much as is the case right now. I lost like seven pounds of body weight per day, just sweating. And so I had to inhale Gatorade when I got home. But here's what I learned. I learned how fascinating it was to watch maybe a unit manager operate. And what we would do is we would get to the site in the morning. And the site for us would be a house that's under construction. And we'd go there and it's our job to get all the AC ducts and whatnot installed in one day. So we wouldn't ride in the equipment truck. 
we would arrive and then the equipment, you know, all of the materials that we would use to install, it would come separate. So we'd get there in the morning and if equipment wasn't there yet, we couldn't do anything. Once the equipment got there, then our project manager would walk around and like all they have to do is just look at the ceilings in these halfway finished homes, sketch it out on a napkin, pizza box, whatever the case may be, and that's it. And that's a skill. That's a, it takes a long time to master that. But the point is, that person would be useless if he sketched out the most intricate design for an installation process ever, but the equipment truck never arrived. Just as the equipment truck could arrive and you could dump out all the materials, but if the guy wasn't there to tell us where to install them, we didn't know, we were 18 years old. So you need both of them. Just as you need to be able to recruit at a pretty high level, but also you need to be able to develop and install and scheme at a pretty high level. No one is winning at the highest levels of this sport without being able to do a little bit of both. So now we circle back to this question of who the better head coach is. Well, right now the answer is Kirby Smart. If you're not gonna get any more specific for me than that, got a better head-to-head -head record. They have a better program right now than Florida. They are recruiting better than Florida. So right now my answer would be Georgia. And I think that's pretty simple. Now on the flip side, I'm getting anytime you answer definitively like that, you're going to get some pushback, including this argument. So with Dan Mullen, I understand what the flip side is, but I think a lot of people make an intellectually bankrupt counterpoint here. And the counterpoint I get from a lot of my Florida buddies, and believe me, I've got quite a few of them, is, okay, but now what if the rosters were equal? They're not equal. That's the whole point. Part of this game is recruiting. A huge part of this game is recruiting. Now, let me ask it to you like this. How much sense would it make if you were to look at the New England Patriots, which has been a model franchise for decades now, it seems, and you were to say, okay, let's say that the Patriots were a model franchise, but they sucked at the NFL draft. They were just terrible at it. Well, what would they be? Answer, not a model franchise. You can't look around and say, this dude's a great play caller, he can develop positions, but they're not all that great at recruiting. Now, I want to, again, caveat this. I'm not telling you Florida's terrible recruiting. I'm not telling you that at all. In fact, quite the opposite. I'm telling you they recruit very good. That's as far as I'll go. Very good. Georgia, little hiccups lately notwithstanding, Georgia is an elite recruiting powerhouse. And the other programs they have to compete against, elite recruiting powerhouses. So I don't really care about your hypothetical, what if the rosters were equal? Wake me up when they are equal. Now, the benefit of Dan Mullen being as good a coach as he is, is they don't really have to be equal, but there can't be this massive gulf between them. He's gotta get at least in the ballpark. You get Dan Mullen in the ballpark of having the same roster as Alabama, Georgia, LSU, well, he's gonna be able to do work then, but I don't think they're there quite yet, maybe on the road. But here's the other aspect that we really have to pay attention to. This is not some settled answer. Uh, this is not a universal truth. Like if I walked outside today, the sky's blue. And I know on July 23rd of 2027, sky's still gonna be blue. Well, today my answer on this question is Kirby Smart. If uh, Dan Mullen runs off two or three in a row against him, and he makes some moves on his coaching staff that bolster their recruiting profile, that answer could easily change. But I don't think that even the most hardcore Florida Gator fan looks in the mirror right now and says, we are every bit the recruiting equal that Alabama is. We are every bit the recruiting equal that Georgia is. I know that because I talked to you. 
Your recruiting frustrates you right now. It frustrates you that teams from outside your state have come in your state and taken too much of your talent. It frustrates me to watch as an outsider, and I'm not all that invested in it emotionally like you are. But that could change. We've got countless examples of things evolving all the time in this sport. So right now, just to quickly, I told you we weren't going to spend a ton of time on this, to quickly address this, how do you not side with Kirby Smart? Understanding the totality of what goes into a college head coach. I hear this insanity all the time about Nick Saban. If, if Nick Saban didn't recruit like he did, the, what? What? What are we even talking? If, if your vehicle didn't have tires on it, it couldn't go anywhere. It does have tires on it. That's how it goes somewhere. You do recruit at a high level. That's how you're a good program. Who out there is recruiting at a subpar level and winning championships? Who's doing that? Who's recruiting at an elite level but being terrible at developing that talent and then putting it in its proper place on game day and winning championships? Nobody's doing either. That's the point. You got to be able to do both. And right now, Kirby Smart and George's program probably closer to checking both of those boxes, respectively, than Florida's is. That could change, and it could change quickly. So let's just stay tuned on that. Moving right along, speaking of recruiting, speaking of talent in the state of Florida, I know a lot of times, Colin, you edit a lot of recruiting videos, so you hear it as much as I do. How many times have we heard a kid come out and say, I'm gonna shock the world with my decision? And nine times out of 10, 19 times out of 20, I would venture to say about 95 times out of 100, you're not shocked. I know two of those fractions were the same. <laughs> you are not shocked by the result. And I'm not either. Well, I was shocked a couple days ago. James Williams did not, for the record, say he was going to shock the world. But he shocked me. James Williams is a five-star athlete from down in South Florida. He goes to American Heritage. That's a very well-known high school down there. And it was widely thought, and if you're not following recruiting right now, I can't stress to you enough how widely it was thought that he was probably headed to Georgia. And that was going to continue a trend of the raid in South Florida. More on that in just a second, because if we're going to criticize it when it happens, we got to give a lot of credit when something goes against that grain. So lo and behold, I think he took a recent unofficial to Georgia, which means he paid his own way, and he was up there. He's been to Georgia several times. The best intel that we were getting from people who are very much in the know, they didn't whiff on this, it's just things changed. The latest intel we had was he was going to take his recruitment well into the fall, winter, and maybe even take it to signing day. And then boom, a couple nights ago, he pops on Twitter for Miami. And I'm going to read you a couple of quotes from the statement he put out in a second. It has been a major focus, as I said earlier in the show, on this program to focus on the talent raid and exodus of talent that has gone on in South Florida. This is a major win, a huge win for Miami. Is it a trend or is it an isolated incident? That's the question moving forward. But for now, really, really good news for them. And I wanted to read you a couple of quotes. Andrew Ivins, the guys over at the Miami 24-7 site did a phenomenal job, obviously, covering this. But part of the statement that James Williams put out. Think about the trends. Think about the underlying themes we've been talking about here as you listen to some of these quotes. Quote, I will not be leaving the sunshine state of Florida. I'm shutting down my recruitment. I'll be signing to the University of Miami. You notice he said sunshine state. I was talking to Bud Elliott earlier today. Could be a coincidence. Could be more than that. Bud has done the sunshine state scorecard for a little while. That's the name of the product. And he 
updates it regularly, and it's just a look at the elite four- and five-star talent in the state of Florida. Where are they going? And we've seen that trending the wrong direction for the big three in Florida lately, where more and more kids, now over 50%, I think the number was that most recently, of former four- and five-star guys from the state of Florida leaving the state of Florida. And that Sunshine State tracker. Well, James Williams didn't say, I'm not leaving home. He said, I'm not leaving the Sunshine State. Could be coincidence, could not. But here's what I really wanted you to focus on. Another quote, it's all about family with me. Another quote, nothing's changed since the first day that they, Manny Diaz and his staff at Miami, they offered me nothing has changed. They've been preaching to me brotherhood, playing for the city, and family. Those are the three themes. As we've said, you don't have to even have an equal product to Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson or all these programs that come down there and take your talent. Just give guys reason enough. They want to stay home. James, Obviously, James Williams wanted to stay home. According to him, Manny Diaz has given him enough reason to stay there. Now, this is a physical specimen. When you talk about the player they're getting, he's a physical specimen. He's listed as a safety. He's 6'5", 220. So I think it's very fair to list him as an athlete, and then we'll just figure out the rest later. The question, I was reading our uh, Barton Simmons player profile evaluation on him. The one thing that stands out, and this kind of coincides with some intel that I've gotten from guys that cover Florida routinely, cover the state of Florida routinely, over the past 24 hours doing some digging on James Williams, he is very impressive physically. Yet, I think Barton's words were, despite physical traits, more of a finesse defensive player needs to develop a more killer instinct. He's not a finished product as a player, nor are most guys in high school. But the point is, if nothing else, and there's much more to it, but if nothing else, this is a huge perceptional win for Miami. I'll tell you where my attention directly turns, because it sounds like this recruitment is pretty much shut down. So my attention now turns to Jason Marshall. You guys down in South Florida know the name well. You guys in Tuscaloosa know the name well because you think you're right in it for him too. That's another five-star defensive back from Miami. Where's he going? Recently, there's been a lot of smoke about him leaving the state. Where is he going? Because recruitments like that will determine whether this is just an isolated win. It's a win, but it's isolated, and it's just kind of a firecracker. Once it fizzles out, it's gone. Or is it the beginning of a wave starting to build? or a wall starting to be built around your talent down in South Florida and you're keeping a majority of it home. And I'll tell you another thing, it really sounds like I'm being negative towards Florida tonight. I'm not being negative towards Florida. But I gotta tell you what I was told by a person very close to this situation down there. And they volunteered this information. I didn't ask about it. They said, you know, this is big for Miami, but think about it from Florida's standpoint. You know, Florida fans have been aggravated at other programs coming in and taking talent from the state like we were just talking about a few minutes ago. And we've been asking on this show, which of the big three are gonna be the ones to at least somewhat shut off that exodus and that pipeline of talent leaving? And Florida folks reasonably, I'm right along with you, reasonably thought, well, since we're the program that is the most legitimate right now in terms of the product we're putting on the field, it's gonna be us. What if it's not Florida? What if despite the fact that Florida's playing at a top 10 level right now, it's Miami, barely 500 or below 500 last year, wherever they were, struggling to make a bowl game. What if it's Miami that despite the poor product on the field and only a second year staff down there, what if they're the ones that end up capitalizing? How do you, how do you reason that 
if you're a Florida fan. This is not me speaking, although I agree with it. This was the sentiment being expressed to me by someone I was talking to yesterday and today very close to that situation. So hats off to Manny Diaz and the guys down there for getting that done. (laughs) They were very, very excited on Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, we'll wrap the show up with this. The other day, I think it was Monday, it was early in the week, I expressed a simple sentiment on Twitter that a lot of you noticed and a lot of you asked about, so I was going to address it on the Late Kick Extra podcast and tonight. And I just said, after several weeks of negativity and negative vibes, I just felt some positive vibes towards football season, pro and college. Felt some positive vibes over the weekend, talking to some folks in decision-making positions, and I just tweeted it out. Because, you know, I I like to keep a pretty fair stream of consciousness out there, and you respond, and that's how I interact with you guys during the week, at LateKickJosh on Twitter if you want to follow, and I would ask that you do that, by the way. But you wanted me to explain what I meant by that. So let me go into not too much depth right quick, but i just give you some feedback from what we've been hearing. Very fluid situations, like trying to nail jello to the wall. Perception's not reality. That's what I've been imploring you to do. You'll notice we haven't taken definitive statements. Colin, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've taken a single definitive hardline stance on this because we are smart enough to know we're not experts in this field. Some would argue we're not even experts in the field of college football, but we're certainly not experts in the field of infectious disease. We're not in the rooms when the decisions are being made. We don't know the data that other decision makers have been privy to, but here's what you can know. What you can know is common sense. The way we just described ourselves also describes a lot of decision makers out there, which circles back to the 595 rule that we have been repeating ad nauseum on late kick. And the 595 rule in principle at this point really is 95% are just sitting around and waiting for someone else to do something. No one wants to make the first move. And there are a relatively small group There's a relatively small group of decision makers that are making the initial moves and then a wave, 95 plus percent of folks, they just follow. That's why I've told you a lot of the negativity has been a virtual mirage. This could be redundant, a mirage. And it's because when the few go that way, everyone just follows. And so the few may take a pessimistic approach and everyone else just follows. Well, if you'll notice as we get closer to what is supposed to be the start of the season, there have been a few things that started to reverse course. As I told you, I expected to happen. And I'll tell you some things that are happening. Our high school associations in some states are announcing either a slightly delayed start to a season, like they're going to do in Georgia, but play the entirety of the year, or start on time and try and play the entirety of the year, like they're doing in the state of Alabama. You've got uh, programs like Alabama that you see reports of trying to schedule Brigham Young not for the end of the year, for the beginning of the year. I've seen today a lot of other reports. These are unconfirmed because that's what they are right now. It's whispers, things people are working on about locking down out-of-conference competition for the beginning of the year. You've got programs that are pushing forward, getting ready to open camp. You've had some very positive testing numbers that have come back from a lot of places after initially it looked nightmarish. The more you've had guys in a controlled environment on campus, you've seen similar results to what you've seen with Major League Baseball, once they've had guys in controlled environments, the NBA, once they've had guys in controlled environments, and to repeat what we've said all along, sadly, I guess you could say, a lot more of the decision-making process is being predicated on public relations and perception than 
data and numbers. I'm not saying data and numbers aren't being adhered to. I'm not saying they're not being paid a lot of attention. I'm telling you that is not the end all be all here. And so a lot of folks in decision-making positions have sat around. I can't blame them. I'd probably be in the same boat. And they have just hoped and prayed for some positivity that they can hitch their wagon to as an excuse to get the season started. I think you've started to see some of that. And that in turn is why you looked around and you said, what was that? Does anyone else feel that? Does anyone else smell that? It just feels like a little bit of positivity. Not a lot. We don't have anything determined. Things could go south tomorrow. Things could go south in five minutes. But I do feel a little bit of positivity. And so those are the things. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing I've got up my sleeve that I don't know or you don't know that I'm just keeping from you. But I think if you just sit back and hold tight, still got a couple of weeks here, you're probably going to hear some stuff from the SEC sooner rather than later. You'll get a more definitive idea of how we're supposed to approach a scheduling format. I also would implore you to remember there are a lot of inaccuracies in reporting out there. I guess partly it's accurate. Partly the concern for college football is, well, it's very hard to marry up everyone's health standards and protocols. And that's true. But here's what's also true. When I had a project back in the day that I knew was due in a week, I was a procrastinator. I couldn't have cared less about it. If it's due in a week, if we're today, July 23rd, if it's due July 30th, I'm not paying a bit of attention to it. There's no urgency. But if it was due July 24th, then everything's out the window and I'm doing whatever it takes to get it done, usually the night before it's due. Same thing's gonna happen with testing protocols and procedures and how you handle contact tracing. Everybody's got a different opinion. Watch and see what I tell you magically from the Power Five standpoint at least, a majority will fall in line just in time and you'll get some announcements just in time the night before you're supposed to have the project turned in. That's essentially the way I see this playing out. So, say all that to say, still be brave enough to admit you don't know what you don't know. See a lot of you out there making fools of yourself right now. I'm just telling you, we don't know. So we're gonna sit back on this one. We're not at the forefront. We're not breaking any news necessarily on this. If you wanna follow some of the best reporting that's been done on this, our Brandon Marcello has done an excellent job at that. I have read everything. I've read every word that he has written on this and will continue to do so. And then there are some other high profile writers out there um, that I have really not valued the opinion of very much on this issue for obvious reasons. So we appreciate you valuing our opinion enough to give us a little bit of your time tonight. We'll be back here the same time, Sunday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. If you haven't already, subscribe to the YouTube channel here. It's free. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Late Kick podcast and give us a five-star review. We got a great shout out in the National Meeting Tuesday because we have passed a lot of analytics milestones that quite frankly, it looked like it would take a lot longer to surpass than it has. That's not me, that's you. So big time, all caps, thank you. And continue that momentum for us because hey, before you know it, we may mess around and actually have some football games to break down in the not too distant future. We may have some camps opening up in the not too distant future. So you've stuck with us this far, stick with us a little bit longer. For Director Colin, for Aaron, for Tani, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great and safe weekend. We'll see you back here Sunday night. Until then, God bless.